Sir Valper and the team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is famous. He has been for years now, uh, almost 20 of them, a great champion of sabermetrics and for almost as long a great ally of, uh, of emerging writers, um, writers who, uh, generally speaking, will utilize the principles of sabermetrics. Uh, his name is Rob Nyer. Rob Nyer, of course, currently is, uh, is uh, employed by SB Nation, where he edits and writes for the Baseball Nation blog, I guess BaseballNation.com. Before that, of course, he uh, wrote for ESPN for some time. In fact, a long enough time such that uh, when he was hired by them, it was called uh, ESPN Zone or something like that. Maybe uh, maybe it was part of the Go Network even. M- maybe it still is. Uh, neither here nor there, really. point is that uh, Rob Nyer is the sort of person with whom you want to speak for an hour on a Thursday night. Uh, that's exactly what we did this past Thursday night recording this uh, introduction on a Friday. It was, uh, so it was last night, in fact, that uh, Nyer and I spoke. Pleasant time all the way around that. Uh, I will, uh, before the, uh, that conversation begins, allow me to inform the listener that there are two points at which uh, our conversation was interrupted. One of those was Nyer's fault, one of them mine. Uh, I have bridged the gap. I have bridged the gap of those interruptions using George Carlin's solo uh, at the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You remember George Carlin as Rufus from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I've utilized his solo for uh, for no reason except um, that it pleased me when I uh, decided to do it. So that's it. That's that. Uh, what follows is uh, it's an addition to Fangraphs Audio. It features very famous Rob Nyer, and it begins right now. Yep. Yeah, we're doing it. This is a, this is a podcast. This is, I've been preparing for uh, weeks for this Excellent. moment. Just for this Listen, moment. These are probably the best questions I've ever I've ever answered. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm also going to. Uh, this is a. Uh, uh, you know, it's important to have rituals, Rob Nyer. Yep. Uh, one ritual we have here on um, Fangrass Audio is to check the levels. To make sure that they're okay, it doesn't. You don't have to do anything. Uh, nothing's required. You just have to be yourself. Well, that's harder than you might think. <laughs> hey, that's an interesting question. Uh, let's do, well, let's start right there. Let's get into the real stuff. Let's get into the real stuff of which life is made. Uh, is it is it hard? Is it hard to be yourself? Um, have you ever seen um, uh, the? Uh, What's that movie with uh, Mark Wahlberg and uh, Dustin Hoffman and uh, Jude Law? You know that movie? Yeah, you're thinking of uh, Nine and a Half Weeks. Nope. Yeah, it's a, there's a really intense nope. sex scene, nope. I think, in that movie nope. between the three of them. Different movie. I Heart Huckabees? Yes. But this, that was the sequel to Nine and a Half Weeks. You recognize that? You remember that, the scene where, <laughs> where they say, How Am I Not Myself over and over again? Oh, that's one. Of, yes, that's one of my favorite things. How Am I Not Myself? Yes. How am I not myself? How am I not myself? Um, that's what that your question reminded me of. Yeah. Um, it's believe it or not, it, it's very easy to be myself when I'm by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, we have many selves, and uh, the the self that's uh, uh, the public Rob Nyer who. Um, uh, likes to talk to people and that's difficult after a few hours uh that's the one that tires me out 
But you're so you. Um, but in your solitary moments, you're a uh, you're the real uh, the real Rob Nyer is revealed. Well, I don't know if it's any real than the other one. It's just a, it's an easier one to be. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, yeah, uh, of course. Now, what about when you're writing though? Um, how close do you how close do you feel like your uh, your writing voice is to is to your actual voice? You know, it's it's hard for me to say, but I will tell you that uh, a long time ago, um, when I was just beginning to write professionally. Um, somebody that I knew, a, a friend of a friend, um, read something that I'd written, and he said, you know, I, and he was a writer. Um, he was a professional writer. He, he, he said to me, um, I read your stuff. I thought I might have, you know, some advice for you, but it turns out you, you write exactly the way that you speak. The way that you are in real, you know, normally. So there's really nothing I can tell you. That, you know, that's who you are. Yeah. Um, I don't know if people would have that reaction. I think I'm a better writer now than I was then. I hope. Um, but I think that's pretty much me on the page. I think you're pretty much meeting meeting me when you read me. Yeah, that's like yeah, basically. There's no so anyone who was um, curious about reading. Robin, I, Robin. I would say I hold, I do hold back some. I think people who have met me. And really heard me rant about certain things. Um, there's an I do have an edge among friends that that I do hold back on because you know some, there, I have some pretty inflammatory opinions about things, and uh, I haven't figured out the right way to. I don't really trust those opinions. I think that they, they uh, they're based on more emotions more than logic, and uh, I don't know if they really have a place in my professional life. It should also be noted that you uh, that you have a filthy mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you uh, you um, you know uh, uh, George Carlin, of course, has that famous uh, a bit about the seven deadly the seven deadly words or whatever. Seven and, words you can't say on television. Yeah, right. And you and uh, uh, you those are like basically the first seven words you say to anyone you meet. <laughs> you just you know it's funny. I appreciate those words. Mm-hmm. They just don't come out of my mouth very often. I'm not sure why. Too much time spent around children, probably. Um, yeah, that's true. Children, children, because uh, children, uh, they, they, yeah, they just don't understand. They don't. Children don't understand. It used to be parents didn't understand. Now it's children. <laughs> it's it's uh, vice versa. Um, yeah, well, that, I guess that's yeah, that's an interesting thing. Has your uh, has your voice now? Listen, if any of these uh, questions you don't want to answer, I think you know where to. Uh, you you'd know where to tell me where to. to I put cannot them. imagine you asking me a question that I wouldn't want to answer. Has your voice? Uh, has your your public voice changed since you've gone over to to SBN at all, or has your if not your voice? Um, I mean, answer that question first. But uh, I don't know your scope or your fo- your focus. I don't think that my focus has changed uh, much. Um, I could probably come up with some. You know, one thing that I that I have done um, is try to be more cognizant of. Thinking about bigger ideas. Uh, when I worked, when I was at ESPN, I just, I pretty much was almost always reacting to the news of the day. Um, because toward the end, I was writing four or five, six times a day, and you know, to maintain that sort of volume, you, you really, you can't come up with six, six original ideas every day. At least I can't. Um, and um, what I found since coming here is that. Um, to SB Nation is that 
the competition for the eyeballs is so intense that if I just write a, a quick reaction to, um, you know, a trade that just went down, um, it it might it, it'll might do fine thanks to the wonders of Twitter and sending a link out, but um, it's not going to make a real splash um, uh, traffic-wise because there's just there's just too much competition for that story. Um, and my only real chance to make any sort of headway is to come up with, with an original idea. And it's funny, I, I, I realized that a year or so ago at least, but it, it wasn't until recently that I was smart enough to finally always have a notebook handy um, and write these things down. And right now I have way, way more ideas. I even have time, good ideas, I think, than I have time to write. Um, so I think when the winter comes, there will be a lot more of that than there is now because I am still reacting to, to breaking news um, during the season. It's just it's too tempting. You know, when something – some I write about what interests me, and a lot of stories, news stories, interest me. So I try to come up with, with my take on it and, and hope for the best. But I think in the winter I'll really get a chance to do some interesting things. Um, get into that, some ideas or, or something like that. Pardon me? Get into some ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, the think, the think pieces and the stuff that you, you're not going to necessarily find anywhere else, at least that day. Um, that's what I want to do all the time. I just, I don't, but that's that's the goal. And, and I think in the winter, um, I will. And, and as far as the, the voice, my, look, my voice is my voice. It's always, it's, it's been basically the same for a long time and probably always will be. Um, it is nice to have the freedom to drop an occasional bullshit into a piece. Um, and I think that it, you know, you don't want to do it gratuitously, but once a month, roughly, uh, <laughs> that's the word pops into my head when I'm writing. I said that's it popped in there for a reason. It belongs yeah. here, and of it course, at ESPN, that that's not an option. No, but I would also say, suggest, and uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, that there is some value. Now, you say if you uh, if you're reacting to a story, right, a, new, a news story, the news of the day. And you have a you have a uh, not not just a hot take, but a but a Rob Nyer special hot take. But uh, do you think there's something to be said for a reader becoming accustomed to the voice of this or that um, of, the, of this or that uh, writer or commentator, and to say you know I, the news the news is fine, the news can be the news, but I I'm interested in hearing it from. Um, you know, uh, so and so, right? I mean, that's isn't that essentially what you know, like what Walter Cronkite was, or you know, what Tom Brokaw was after him? You know, you had a choice. You could you could get your news from him, or or Dan Rather, or uh, Peter Jennings. But you know, everyone had a favorite, and so it's a, it's, you know, they're they're all going to um, probably touch on you know rather similar topics. But you you would perhaps develop um, there's a voice to which you become attached. Well, I, I happen to think that. Those newscasters you mentioned, I think that they became institutions not so much because of their amazing talent um, or likability, but because they worked where they worked, um, you know, sort of akin to the, the, the great man theory um, or the anti-great man theory. You know, I, I think these things are in a raw line. I think CBS News would have been, would have probably won the ratings or done very well, even if it had been somebody else, whoever, you know, whoever was runner-up to Cronkite for that job, he probably would have done really well, too. Um, I know in my case, we we tried. Um, uh, I don't think this is 
inappropriate for me to talk about. When when I went to SB Nation, we tried to hit all the news, and uh, um, with me doing it and and Grant Bisbee and, and Jeff Sullivan, um, we did our usual smart guy think pieces, but we also hit all the news items, um, and you know pretty much all of them. There were there was a basically a, most of the season when we hit every single news story that came across the wire, basically. Um, and we had our own little spin, our own little clever uh, ways of, of, you know, turning it into something that was not just an AP news report. Um, and, you know, the fact is that the audience really wasn't there, um, not to the degree that we hoped for. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would like to think that I could write anything and people would respond to it if given enough time, but I just don't know that that's true. So now you start. So of course, uh, now, um, you've been on the show a couple times, and probably should have been on more. But um, I want to come on every week. I'm always sort of, sort of a little. We'll do uh, that. I'm a little, a little disheartened every time I see on on Twitter that you've had someone else on, someone who's not me. Okay. Well, hey, you just email me every day. You want to come on, and we'll we can set up. In fact, the the, the listener should know. The, the listener deserves to know that this is uh, this is actually. A, um, a mostly impromptu recording in, insofar as uh, it's Thursday evening. Uh, we had originally discussed uh, doing the show tomorrow, uh, Friday, uh, later, but uh, but you were available. I was available. Um, I mean, I'm, all, I'm pretty much always available. It's, uh, <laughs> there's not a lot going on over here. And uh, and so we said, Let, let's do that. So um, uh, there is sort of uh, something of, of the improvised about this. But... Um, uh, yeah, but so we have we've checked in a couple times though, is my point. And the the, the idea was, um, uh, well, I think I've asked you on, on on more than one occasion about sort of your evolving role within the. Uh, um, I guess there are a lot of different words you use for, but maybe the sabermetric community or the uh, uh, baseball blogging community. Uh, you know, because at, at a certain point, Rob Nair, you were the uh, you were the uh, you know almost a lone voice. Of, uh, of reason within within baseball, and um, and you know it's uh, partly. I mean, one of the things you've done is, uh, I guess, like what any good writer would do, is you've you've created your own competition by giving a voice to other people. I mean, really, you're putting you're making your own job more difficult. You know, if you had if you had an iron fist, you could have held people down like uh, Craig Calcaterra <laughs> probably, and uh, and all everyone involved with fangraphs and. You would not have been spreading the gospel of sabermetrics, and you'd, you know, you'd be the most powerful man in America. But uh, you have t- uh, too large a heart. But I guess the point is, uh, to what degree, you know, because at some point you were the one person who was, um, you know, through SPM. Uh, this is what 90, 96, 95, 96. Uh, 96. Yeah, you were you were taking news stories, and you were saying this is not, uh, you know. You know, this is uh, this is not a player's. You know, you, you were discussing concepts like a, a on base percentage then, and that was relatively new. Um, for you know, especially on um, to, to, to a larger uh, to a larger audience. Uh, but there, you know, obviously there um, that sort of wisdom has become almost commonplace at this point. So I'm curious as to as to how you view um, you know the sort of changing of your role uh, within the community and. Um, if not since 1996, then at least since uh, two years ago, maybe when we last spoke. Well, a lot of my readers um, know more about these things than I do, um, 
And it, look, it's a little, is it, is it, is it disconcerting? A little bit, sure. <laughs> um, I was in 96. I wasn't the only person doing what I do, but what I was doing, but I was almost the only person on the web. You know, it was basically me and a bunch of guys in rec sport baseball, yeah, yeah. Um, which in some of those guys um, created baseball perspectives a couple of years later. I think their first year was 98 or 99. Um, so I had a little bit of a head start on them. Um, but as far as people on the web and with any sort of audience, I, as far as I remember, I was basically it. And um, I wasn't making much money. Um, it wasn't like I was, you know, handsomely rewarded. And I didn't deserve to be. I wasn't. I didn't have a huge audience, but I did have a great uh, outlet at ESPN.com. Um, uh, I was very fortunate that someone allowed me to have that that outlet. Um, and slowly things built up. And and uh, you know, I think you know, obviously, what really popularized sabermetrics in the in the public's eye was first Bill James before me. And there were a certain segment of people who, who read Bill. And, uh, and then I was on the web doing what I was doing. And then, after, and then five, six years later, Moneyball came out. And, of course, that exploded. Um, and I'm, you know, a very minor player in between those two, those two events. But, no, it was, it was fun. Um, and it was great hearing from people who said, wow, I can't believe I, this is out there. And uh, you're, like, the only one saying these things. And, and that was exciting. Um, but it, it did go away. Now, I still want to be the only one saying certain things. I'm not, but <laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm in a minority quite often. Um, not when it comes to sabermetrics. I mean, sabermetrics people are still in the minority in the wide world, but they're not in the minority in the circles that we travel in. Um, in fact, sometimes it, you know. It's not really all that much fun to write about UNESCO, UNESCO Betancourt because uh, yeah. everybody thinks the same things about him. Yeah, and, and it's just and who, wants to th- who wants to think about that at any length? <laughs> that's the other point, you know. That's that's right. I mean, once you've uh, the the considered opinion about UNESCO Betancourt hasn't changed in the last seven years. So, what is there to say, really? Right. Um, and you know, I, I'm not above the the occasional backhanded jab, but I'm not going to write 800 words about UNESCO Betancourt. There's just no point. Um, I do think that there is still a place for people who see the events of the day in a slightly different way. That's what I try to do when there's breaking news. Um, you know, I when when I've been accused of, of being an iconoclast and, and, and writing things just to be different, and that's absolutely not true. Um, I, I never write something that I don't believe. Um, now, what often does happen is I will write something that I believe because it's different. And there is a distinction there, which I hope is obvious. Um, I, I, I share the majority opinion all the time, but I keep it to myself because nobody needs that yeah. from me, and I wouldn't have any fun writing it. Um, Fortunately, I, ha- I feel like I have the minority opinion, or at least uh, an opinion that I haven't seen anywhere else. Um, I have it often enough where I, I never run out of things to write about. Let's. Uh, I want to ask you. Well, I got a couple places to go. Let's go to this because uh, when I was, I, I lived. Well, of course, we met each other when I when I was living in Portland, Oregon, where you currently live. And uh, at that time, there was baseball in Portland. Uh, 
at uh, what PG PGE Park PGE yep. Park That's current it. current home of the uh, the Timber was home of the Timbers then now it's exclusively the home of the Timbers and the Portland Thorns Portland Thorn Thorns Thorns what do they do they play ladies soccer oh okay I, I, do they only accept women because if they started having men in ladies <laughs> soccer that seems like it would be unfair yeah just just women and they're quite outstanding okay fine well all right fine yeah sure right, that's fine with me. I have no problem with this, but um, the uh, right. So baseball left though, but it is now back. And I know for a fact that you've been to at least one Hillsborough Hops game of the. Three. Uh, okay, fine. You corrected me. I said this is still at least one. Yes, it is. Okay. I, I'm not correcting. I am enhancing. <laughs> you're enhancing. Okay. Uh, you're aug- you're augmenting. The um. Right, so you've been to three Hillsborough Hops. Tell me. Tell me about uh. Hillsborough Hops of the the Northwest League. It's a nice little ballpark. Yeah, it's um it's bare bones. Uh, it was built very quickly and very cheaply, and I don't hold that against them. It's a ball, and and uh, you know it's short season a ball, um, and it's a very pleasant place to see a baseball game. But but it makes sense now. At some level, it makes sense for that region, right? Because I remember April games at PG Park with the uh, Portland Beavers, and they were uh, more often than not miserable. Yeah, this is just. I didn't go often in April and May. I, I did. I, I went occasionally, um, and I didn't mind so much. Um, but you really have to love it. You got to really want it. Um, you know, it's like uh, it's like Michael Douglas says in uh, the American President about democracy. You know, it's not easy. You know, you've got to really want it, and uh, most people. Don't want baseball badly enough to, to sit in the drizzle when it's 50, 60 degrees out for three hours on a weeknight. Um, and so baseball has always struggled in the Northwest, at least for some decades, whether it's Tacoma or, or Portland, has struggled in, in the spring. It isn't really until mid-June, early July that it's, we have baseball weather here consistently. But, um, and so, so to that, uh, I guess to that point, it, um, it makes sense to have a short-season league there. Um, well, I mean, it, not only does it make sense, it's been obvious for a long time. and um, It's actually sort of fascinating, the, the history of baseball in Portland, because Chipotle left in the early 70s. Short season came in, was incredibly successful. And Chipotle said, wow, look at what those guys are doing. We should move <laughs> back in. They come back in. They struggle for seven or eight years. They leave. Short season comes in. In the second case, it was the the Portland Rockies, and incredibly successful, like <laughs> off the charts. They're here for three or four years. They do so well. Of course, Triple says we got to move back in. They do. The trip, they move back in. This is the Beavers again. They struggle for. I guess it wound up being about eight, nine, ten years, and now we're back to short season ball again. Um, um, and you think at some point somebody would get the message. I, I, I suspect we'll not see AAA try try it again, but you never know. I mean, it's, it would be um, it's happened three times. Well, how many, and how, about how many folks can you get into that park in Hillsborough? I believe the capacity is maybe forty five hundred, something in that in that right. range, including the lawn. Oh, the, uh, is it a lawn or is it a berm, Rob Nair? Well, interesting question. Yeah, they have a they have a berm. In left, the left field corner, and they also allow people to sit on the lawn, which is flat, 
uh, beyond the right field fence. Have you ever heard the word berm outside of the context of a of a baseball stadium? Of course, it's a common construction term. No, it's not. It's not common. Yeah, you make, when you're making dams and whatnot, you'll you'll build a berm. Is that right? All over the place. Oh yeah. There are berms everywhere. There are berms. There are berms literally everywhere. Yeah. Definitely, uh, definitely. The first hundred times I ever heard the word, it was in connection to baseball. <laughs> I'm not involved in major public works projects though either. So there's that. There's that to think about. Um, one notable. Uh, one notable thing about the Hillsborough Hops and you is that you were able to conduct um, a pretty excellent interview that appeared uh, within the, the pages of SB Nation, uh, I guess base, BaseballNation.com specifically. Um, uh, and that was a conversation you had with Roland Heeman, who has been in baseball forever and yet remains, at least appears to the outsider myself, uh, appears uh, uh, strikingly humble. Yeah, Roland is a is a really great guy. People, everybody you ever talk to, you talk to Roland, just loves the guy. Um, and um, he was fantastic to me. He was he was a comedy. I, I thought we I talked to him for ten minutes, and I think we went for a half an hour because I just had this list of questions and kept asking, and he he kept answering at length. So um, it was really, and I, I'd met Roland before, but never really spoken to him for more than just to say say hello. Um, so it was a real thrill for me. And, and Roland, we should know. We should know. Roland Heeman's been in the game since uh, for well, you. I mean, he wrote sixty-three years. I mean, he's been. I believe it was nineteen. Yeah, it was nineteen fifty or fifty-one. I can't remember who hired him first, but yeah, he's he's been there. He's been around forever and and seen everybody and had basically every job up to and including general manager. And um, I mean, he's just. I, I I asked him. I think I, I think I mentioned this in the in the in the interview that I posted. But I I asked him about a book, and he said people lots of people. Asked if he would, was going to do one. He just basically has been too busy. Well, I guess that's good. That's uh, that's encouraging news uh, to for someone to be so active at uh, at advanced age. Um, yeah, and you know the thing is too. I, how do you? How does somebody who's been in the game for sixty three years even write a book? I mean, how, how big would that book have to be? Um, inevitably, he would have to leave out huge chunks of really interesting stuff. Um, so I don't know. I would I would love to see that book someday if it's done well. There was a guy named uh, Charlie Metro. Is that the right guy? I'm trying, I might have the wrong guy. But there was a someone who I met who uh, was in baseball for many decades, um, similar to to Behemoth, um, except that this guy was also a manager. Um, and his book is great. It just goes on and on and on. These densely packed pages with almost no space between the lines because. That's how long he was in baseball, so it, he deserved to have that sort of book. It's hard to get through because it's so long and dense, but uh, but I'm glad he did it. Well, did you want an oral history? Maybe would you want an oral history with Roland Heeman? Um, you know that it, that's people don't really do those sorts of books. You mean you mean like on the web? Or do you make an actual a whole book? Yeah, I don't know a whole book. Uh, well, who's who's the guy from the from Chicago in the uh, '60s and beyond? So he did the book Work. Uh, he did uh, Studs Terkel. Maybe Studs Terkel, absolutely. Yeah, of course, Studs Terkel, of course, not alive anymore. We could perhaps reanimate him, and he and Roland <laughs> Heeman could. Uh... Well, I mean, but Terkel didn't do books about single people. He did books with many voices. That's the you know usually in oral history, it's it's a collection of voices. Um, Listen, if we pay Studs Terkel, if we pay reanimated corpse of Studs Terkel enough, yep. I think he's going to do this book. You think he'll do it? I don't know. So how's that different from just how's that different from just a, an autobiography? Because it's written in dialogue form. 
Um, so I see what you're saying. In fact, um, I, I have a book um, by, um, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, Peter Bogdanovich. Is that name? Yeah, yeah, Peter Bogdanovich. He's a director. That's right, film director. Yeah. And he published a book consisting of interviews that he conducted with Orson Welles over a number of years. And that's quite good. So I think uh, I think it could work. If, you know, the thing is, as far as I know, that, that has literally never been done in ba- for, with, with a baseball book. But it's been done in other genres, and it, it could work in baseball. Do you, know what the, do you know what the nice thing about that sort of book is? What? It requires a much less editing. Yeah, that's right. It requires much less editing and much less time. You're absolutely right. And um, I did minimal editing on uh, on the interview with Heman because because he's an you know he's a he's an articulate fellow who 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 speaks in full sentences, um, not like Orson Welles, uh, but 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 excellent sentences. And so it would be relatively easy to put that together. Yeah, right. And I think that uh, I think people naturally though readers naturally um, take to uh, tr- transcriptions. I mean, the, you know, with exceptions, but they naturally take to transcriptions of um, spoken English. I think there's something pleasant about it because you, uh, it's uh, something about it seems uh, comfortable. Yeah, it's, it can it can be reading a conversation can be can be great. And I, I mean, it's funny. I think you've actually hit upon a, a really fantastic idea for a book, whether it's with Hemond or or somebody else. And I will predict right now that someone listening to this mm-hmm. to our Interview. Yeah, we'll 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 try to do a book like that one of these days. Okay. So, yeah, well, I look forward to it. You know, we actually have a pretty. Uh, it's um, um, mostly because we've ostracized most everyone else. Um, we have a select group of listeners, but a, a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how it works, um, which is nice. Uh, let me ask you about this. I know that um, annually, Rob Nair, uh, you go to the Saber Conference. But uh, you do not just go to the Sabre Conference. Uh, you go with a, a group of gentlemen friends, or at least a couple of gentlemen friends, <laughs> and you make a, you make a real trip out of it. Uh, you, maybe you will go to – you will start in another city and make a road trip out of it. Uh, you know that uh, last year you were very well, – let's see. Last year was in Minneapolis, and you were very excited to go to what, the oldest soda, soda fountain in all of Iowa or something like this. Um, I, um, I'm curious about your itinerary this year. Uh, you don't, of course, you don't, you don't give exact dates and times because, you know, you'll be hounded by uh, by fans far and wide. But uh, Saturday morning at 6:30, I get on a plane for Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. So to, uh, we should say today is this is right now Thursday at uh, 8 8:42 your time. So this is uh, within 48 hours. That is correct. You're going. You're leaving at 6:30. You're going to Pittsburgh, PA. Yep. And uh, what's I guess you're going to. Uh, what, PNC Park that night or what? Um, I wish. Um, it's sort of a, a wrench in our plans, a spanner in the works, as they say. Yeah. Um, the Pirates are on the road this weekend, uh, which means we're going to go to Pittsburgh on Saturday, my two friends and I, mm-hmm. um, Hank and Bill. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, we're just going to hang around Pittsburgh for a couple of days until Monday when the Pirates are home playing the Cardinals, which is fortuitous. Um, and uh, so we'll be there through Monday night, actually through Tuesday morning, and then we'll begin the drive to Philadelphia. Okay, right. And then, uh, and do you have any? No, that's the baseball portion of it, of course. Uh, do you have any uh, uh, sites that, uh, about which you're particularly excited? Well, 
I'm a nerd about this sort of stuff, so yeah. there are. There was a no, literally. Oh, let me interrupt. There was a. What was it like? This uh, city hall in St. Paul. You wanted to see. There was some. Uh, no, it's state state capital. Oh, the state capital. You want to see a state capital in? Uh, yeah, in I love to see every state capital. Yep. Okay, and you you but, saw it. We drove right by it. I we did. It was fantastic. I had had you to thank. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, the least I could do, almost literally. I think it was on the way back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, so you want to see? Uh, well, what, what, what would the state uh, the state capital is uh, Harrisburg, I think. That's, that is know. correct, and it's way out of way. Pennsylvania turned out as a big state, and. Yeah. and a lot of the things I would love to see are in the sort of the northern half, and we're going to be in the southern half. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, I really am going to feel, I may be looking at the map as we're driving and thinking, oh, we could just, but, um, I got to go, so I got to go back someday and go to Harrisburg and Johnstown and Horseshoe Curve and Steamtown and all these other places. Um, intercourse, uh, you're going to be an intercourse PA at all? Uh, I haven't looked at the map yet, but that sounds probably not given my company. Um, <laughs> thank you, Bill. But, um, the the highlights, the non-baseball highlights um, that I know are going to be experienced because a lot of the other, there are a bunch that probably won't be because my companions aren't quite as nerdy as I am. Mm-hmm. But um, we are definitely touring Falling Water, Frank Lloyd Wright's right. most famous house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will be stopping off in Gettysburg, and that's, that's I, I, I really could not be more excited about that. Uh, yeah, um, uh, you know Gettysburg. Actually, I believe I was uh, I believe I was led around Gettysburg at one point by my uh, my father. But uh, I think that they've removed the uh, the dead. Is that right? <laughs> well, there are still some cemeteries there. Yeah, they okay. don't they don't find skeletons very often anymore. No, that's true. That was the thing. Yeah, but you're going to see that and. Um, uh, uh, yeah, well, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a thing to see, Rob Meyer. It's a it's an American, uh, well, I don't know what it was, landmark. It's an American landmark. I uh, it's it's one of the landmarks, and uh, I mean, I really can't. I've never been there before, as much as I enjoy that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Do you Walk think around be... a little round, little round top? I mean, how could that not be like the coolest thing ever? Do you think you'll be prompted to uh, uh, to brush up in your uh, on your Gettysburg address uh, <laughs> to? Uh, I, I, I honestly, I only know like the first ten words. Yeah, I don't know. They're only what two hundred and seventy-two words. It's not that difficult. I, I'm sure that there was a time when every American schoolboy had to memorize it. But um, mm-hmm. I should brush up. I am going to read Shelby Foote's history of Gettysburg be- before we arrive. So I'll be up on the the battle. I, I'll probably wait until I actually get there to refresh my memory of, uh, about the actual address. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, that's good. And, and uh, I would like—I will warn you uh, right away that uh, we will—we uh, will be seeing each other in uh, in Philadelphia, where the Saber Conference is. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, I will be there in attendance with some uh, with some other uh, residents of the Upper Midwest. Uh, uh, Michael Bates, the Internet's common man. Yes, I know Michael. Uh, Michael Bennett. and I hung out in um, in Scottsdale this past spring. You see, I believe you were in attendance when his computer was destroyed by Eric Chavez. That is that is true. Yeah, right. By a foul ball, it should be noted. I was uh, 15 feet away. Yep. Eric, Eric Chavez did not uh, did not run up to Michael Bates and, and uh, throw his <laughs> computer on the ground. Um, no, uh, he had a foul ball slammed right into his, the back of his, uh, yeah, his screen. Right. And then later in the same game, I got a baseball. Uh, right, but and less less damage yeah, associated with that it. That was an easy one, and I gave it to Michael, who gave it to his son. 
Right. Well, that, and that's not. And of course, that's uh, yes. That's uh, his. I was going to say his name, but let's not say. Uh, there was another. Uh, oh yes, um, uh, Bill Petty, uh, Michael Bates' uh, heterosexual life partner, and also <laughs> a writer for also a writer for SB Nation. That's correct. That's correct. And then David Temple, whom you met, I think, briefly last year, but has uh, done excellent work for Knockrafts. In the meantime, he will also be there. We will be. Uh, well, if you see me, say hello. Yeah, I'm going to see you, Rob Nyer. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. No, I get busy because I, you know, I get there and all of the all my fans. No, I rushing, no, I understand. Yeah, you're rushing yeah, exactly. about and whatnot. So it's hard to you know, but by the masses. If it seems like there's a big crowd, just just stick your hand up in the air and and I'll make room. Okay. Is there? Uh, are you going to be? Uh, what are you uh, hosting any panels this year? Uh, I'm not. No, this is the first time in a while that I haven't been asked to do anything. I'm on my own completely, which uh, is um, you know. Yes, demoralizing, but also yeah. also re- re- uh, re- relaxing. Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, let's look at the bright side then. Now let's right, uh, exactly. now um, um, let's stop looking at the bright side though, because I want to ask you some questions about the Royals. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the uh, <clears throat> uh, Dayton Moore, I believe, recently announced. I don't know. Uh, this was within the last week, I believe, um, and I don't know if if maybe he's changed uh, tact in the meantime. Uh, but I think that he identified the Royals as buyers uh, leading up to the trade deadline. Is that uh, is that position changed? Do you know? Well, there was a quote from him suggesting that, and then within a couple of days, there were reports, not including a direct quote, but there were credible reports um, suggesting that Urban Santana is available at least for the right offer. So. We, as as Royals fans, we can only hope that Irvin Santana is not a Royal a week from now. Right. And um, do you? I mean, is that? Do you, what, how do you? You think that's going to happen or not? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I nobody would ever describe me as an optimist, but I I, I never lose hope. There is a difference, um, and I certainly have some hope that they'll trade Santana. They'll they will do the right thing. We've also done the wrong thing so many times in the last 20 years. Um, we cer- certainly shouldn't expect them to do the right thing, but it's possible. They might come to their senses. Mm-hmm. It would right. help they lost the next two or three games. <laughs> the, uh, so you, um, you are sort of a Royals fan. You certainly, you certainly grew up as a Royals fan and were a Royals fan until a certain point. Uh, I think that you've become uh, perhaps disillusioned um, in that way, but uh, it's still there, I assume, somewhere. Uh, what are the uh, what are the uh, I mean, have the general sentiments regarding the team changed in recent years, or are they uh, status quo of sorts? Yeah, the status quo. I think I turned probably ten years ago, where I went from watching them all the time. If they were on, I was going to watch that game. It didn't matter who else was playing or or, or what my job suggested I should be doing. Um, I was going to watch the Royals game, and I think it was probably the 2003 season that killed that, when they had the big lead at, at the All-Star break, and and then got buried in the second half by the Twins. Uh, it, it wasn't that they did anything wrong necessarily; they made some good moves down the stretch to get better. Um, it just wasn't enough. Um, everybody else regressed. Um, and there's just been nothing since then to really get me excited about this team. Um, you know, whether I'm still a fan or not, it, it depends on how you define fan. I still follow them more than I follow the other club. I follow them and I follow the Mariners because they're, they're the Mariners are the closest 
Wow, you really have uh, you really cornered the market on the mediocrity. Yeah, I don't, I don't live and die with either of them. You're uh, probably smart because you'd be dying with them. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, what I don't know, they still frustrate. You know, the fact the fact that I'm still so frustrated by what Dayton Moore does and what the Royals do generally suggests that I am still a fan on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, what I don't know is how I would respond if they were good. Um, I don't know how excited I'm. I'm pretty sure that I would get pretty excited. And yeah. if, they, if they were playing really well and seemed to have a good team and were doing intelligent things, I think I probably would start watching them quite often again. Um, but, you know, I, I won't know until it happens. Yeah, I think that I think it'd be good for. Well, I think it's always good for baseball, right? When a um, when a team that's had uh, trouble for some time uh, has uh, shows signs of life. I mean, certainly it seems as though there's um, some interest in the Pirates doing well uh, beyond beyond Pittsburgh, and uh, maybe uh, when Baltimore, uh, you know, was uh, suddenly resurgent last year. I think that there was uh, generally, you know, there was uh, from. Um, People beyond Baltimore, there was encouragement in that way. It's it's uh, there's some pleasure in seeing a team sort of rise up f- from the ashes, and uh, I think that there would be some enthusiasm um, too for Kansas City, where where they just show some sort of signs of life like that. Although uh, it's not happening uh, the way the way that the team is being run currently. I mean, Moore's been around since uh, 2006 or something, isn't this right? This is his seventh. He- Seventh season. That's yeah. right. He, came, he showed up in the middle of the 2006 season, I believe. Yeah. Now that has to be an uncommonly 2007, 2006, seven season. Excuse me. Uncommonly long leash for a baseball general manager. Yes, it, it is. It, it has been. Um, and uh, uh, his predecessor, Howard Baird, was there for a lot longer than I thought he deserved to be, um, as well. But I think more more has been there. Um, longer than, than Baird was. Um, and I think that it, it, when you're re- rebuilding, it makes sense for the GM to have a long leash. Um, the problem is I think too often the owner just really has no idea what what's going on. Um, if the GM talks a good game, says the right things, has a good relationship, he might be there longer than he should be. You know, but you, you also don't want your – your, your 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 owner firing a GM every two or three years and starting over um, because the chances are you, you're not going to find the right guy the perfect guy whatever whatever chance you have of finding the the, the right GM is probably outweighed by the the instability that you've introduced into the organization by switching up every so often so it, you know it's a, it's a it's a fine line I think the real problem is ownership not the GM I'm not saying that Dayton Moore would be a great GM and another city, what I am saying is that I have zero confidence in <laughs> ownership's ability to, 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 to replace more with somebody who is really good. Okay. Um, they had the chance to do that seven, six years ago, and they didn't do it. Um, so uh, I, I don't think that firing date more, however appropriate it might seem, might be, I don't think it's a panacea. I don't think they would hire anybody better. As far as, I wanted to make another point, which is you talked about long-suffering teams and what that means when they're successful. I I think that there probably is no, literally no better thing for baseball than, than when that happens. Because when you have a team that's been awful for a long time become successful, whether it's for a year, two years, longer, 
you, you are creating thousands and thousands of baseball fans in that city who you'll have forever. Um, and you're not going to lose necessarily any other fans. I mean, if the Yankees finish fourth this year, which they might well do, you're not going to lose a bunch of Yankees fans. They'll be back next year. But when the, when the Orioles win after many years of not winning, when the Pirates win after many years of not winning, you've created many baseball fans, new, young, many of them young baseball fans in those cities that wouldn't have existed otherwise. Um, and you, you might have them forever. So I, I really think that in the law, it really behooves baseball um, to make it easier for for teams to compete, um, different teams to compete. I, I don't know that you need to have you know, the NFL where half the teams get in the playoffs, but um, it, there is a reason. You know, competitive balance, um, there is a practical um, benefit to doing it that way. And, uh, you know, they've, they've made some real progress in that direction. Now, you say there's no better thing for baseball than that happening. But uh, let me give you this scenario. What if a uh, what if a blonde, a large bosomed blonde woman uh, uh, turned out to have uh, either uh, amazing arm speed or other, otherwise amazing, uh, you know, excellent uh, offensive prowess? And so she was a large bosomed blonde woman. Yep. And she was, uh, you know, drafted or maybe signed as an international free agent. Maybe. She, you know, uh, I think this would also help baseball. I'm not saying that I, I, I'm not saying for the right reasons, but I'm thinking that this would be uh, an, a tremendous boon to the game. Well, Carson, you should know me well enough by now to know that I don't, I don't, I don't traffic in hypotheticals. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, very good. Only so I'll just in, have uh, to concede the. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just concede the point. You only traffic in in uh, narcotics. That's the Rob <laughs> Meyer way. I understand. Now listen. Um, Here's a here's a thing. This is not really a quiz, but um, it's going to seem like a quiz, so I apologize. Uh, I uh, I don't know if I've told you, Rob Meyer. I am a person who um, there's a strong chance that I'll be moving to Paris, France, rather soon. Did I tell you that? Um, you have yes. I knew that. I knew that was a, a possibility at some point. Okay, I might Very be disappointed moved. by that. Yeah, but I'll be back to the United States. Don't worry. The, uh, I'll, I'll be moving to Paris, France. Uh, as such, I have packed away the majority of my books. Yeah. Um, I recently had in mind that I would cre- uh, do a post on the inventors of every pitch, and I went to go find my uh, Nyer James Guide to Pitchers, uh, and I realized I had, uh, it was in storage. I've moved it to storage because I saved – uh, I, I put aside very few, uh, if any, books um, for, the, for that purpose. Um, but but I was wondering if you this in turn you, this will be sort of seem like a quiz. You will also be uh, potentially aiding and abetting a Knockcraft's post in so doing. The the um, the pitcher or pitchers who, um, who to the best of your knowledge invented every pitch. Um, so we'll start um, if you will consent. We'll start uh, with fastball. <laughs> who invented the fastball? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's the first pitch, right? I mean, what, who invented it? Well, I wish I had a suitably silly answer for that question. Yeah. But it is true that one probably could devise an inventor of the fastball. Um, because when base began, um, there really wasn't supposed to be a fastball. You were supposed to basically lay the ball in for the 
for the batter. Oh, right, right. And at some point, somebody started basically breaking the rules and throwing a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder, um, which he wasn't supposed to do. But he got away with it. It probably was that guy. I don't know who it is. You don't know? Okay. <laughs> it's a question mark. Uh, now, I know, I believe I know who invented the curveball. Uh, but Candy Cummings is given credit for it, yes. Okay, he's right. in the Hall of Fame board. He's in the, he's in the Pioneer class. Arson? Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, Candy Cummings. Uh... This is uh, this is terrible, but I just, just realized that I have another radio spot. I have a radio spot at this moment. Oh, yeah. Is that for us to continue this in a few minutes? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and do you it. You can splice them together somehow? Yeah, yeah, I'm an expert at uh, at uh, this. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay, I'll, I'll let you know when I'm back. All right, bye. Thanks. Hi. Hi. Sorry about that. No, it's all right. Very embarrassing. You're a... Uh... Very unprofessional. Well, that's not what we're about here anyway. The, uh, who are you talking to? <laughs> uh, KNBR in San Francisco. Oh, what are they... Uh... Oh, KNBR. Is this the uh, flagship radio station of the San Francisco Giants? Yes. What do they, uh, what do they want to know about? We talked a lot about Ryan Braun, and we talked a lot about the Giants. Hmm. What is the sentiment with regarding uh, regarding Ryan Braun? Um, the question that I remember was, what kind of guy is Ryan Braun? Hmm. Or what do you think of Ryan Braun? So it was, it was open. It was broad, a broad, open-ended question. Yeah. And a tough question. Yeah, I guess uh, a polarizing figure right now. Although maybe yeah. maybe a bunch of people more on one poll than the other, or, or <laughs> perhaps not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then the what was the other topic? The Giants, San Francisco yeah, Giants. Yeah, the Giants. Yeah, I guess they're, they're pretty good. It seems like probably a good. Yeah. The Giants good? Are they? No. So you don't really have to follow baseball on the ins and outs pretty much in your job. Is that <laughs> what I'm sensing? <laughs> More of a big picture guy. Yeah. Let's see. Oh no, they're like not good. decade for the, it's been a good decade for the Giants. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, right, yeah, absolutely sure. that's absolutely true. Yeah, sure. That's right. what I mean. Yeah. That's what I. That's what I was talking. No, now, I, now that I see that they, they appear to be some nine games below 500. <laughs> so that's uh, that's not good for them, I suppose. Uh, it's not good for them. Although uh, it seems that Tim Lincecum has been even apart from his, uh, uh, what no hit performance, he's been re- resurgent, or at least uh, well, of course you wrote this about Joe Blanton recently. I think that uh, his relationship with XFIP is troublesome. <laughs> is that right? Uh, and and Babbitt. Well, I guess those fit together. But yeah. he, well, it's something about Blanton is that he he seems to have broken Babbitt and um, home runs per fly ball. It's yeah. difficult to do both. It's hard to do, it's hard to do. But yeah, it should be noted, of course, that uh, um, that no one. Um, I'm sure certainly. Uh, what, I think David uh, Dave Studeman is the 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 man by the mind behind XFIP, Is he not? I just sort of assumed that was a, a Fangraphs thing. No, I, no, no. I think that's that that uh, predated Fangraphs, I believe. Okay. At least in terms of public uh, consumption. I mean, it's essentially it's it's a it's a variation on 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 uh, it's a it's a refinement of of McCracken's Babbitt theory. Right. And it's right. It, right. Yeah. Yes. And the point is that this is no no one I don't think who 
was uh, you know intimate with the with the metric itself would say that this is uh, that every player is going to aggress that there it, it just happens to account for the the largest population generally speaking right yeah and there there are people who can be outliers of course Matt McCain of the San Francisco Giants uh, has been an outlier for years uh, not this year it seems um, but meanwhile Joe Blanton has been an outlier in the other direction and uh, um, is even more so this this year it seems right what what and it's you know it's it's fine to say this guy's an outlier and we we we've done that um, what's more difficult is to explain what what makes why he's an outlier, right. whether or not it says something about that pitcher specifically or it, whether it just says something about the nature of, of, of randomness and baseball statistics. And right. uh, I mean, I'm sure somebody's written a treatise about Matt Cain, and I'm, I probably read it, but um, it didn't stick with me if I did. Well, I think there's a, we, we actually ran a piece of, yeah, it's been a couple of years now, maybe a, Ago uh, on uh, there was a, I think a conversation with Dave Rigetti because it, it did seem as though a number of the Giants uh, pitchers were sort of able to uh, were in possession of this skill and so you know if you could get a, a group of guys you know not unlike um, ground ballers in um, in St Louis uh, with Dave Duncan or uh, pitchers who remain healthy in uh, Chicago thanks uh, in some part one assumes to Don Cooper. Uh, you know, you start to start to look at the pitching coach if it seems, uh, you know, um, symptomatic of you know several players as opposed to just one. Yeah, and then you have this year when basically the only guy pitching well for the Giants is Madison Bumgarner, and the other four guys are are, are horse meat. So um, that's the problem: is knowing right. when to trust that stuff. Right, right. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, yeah, of course you look for the narrative behind it, and uh, that can be very interesting, but but that's uh, not the case this year. Listen, 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 Rob Nair. Let's. Let let's uh, uh, return to our conversation so that you can you can do what Rob Meyer needs to do. I can do what I need to do. Uh, mostly, it will be go to go to bed because it's eleven thirty <laughs> Central time, and uh, or finish some some work. Um, Wait, it's not eleven thirty Central. Yeah, sure it is. Oh no, no, is it not? Oh no, perhaps I didn't. Uh, oh no, I, I was still on Eastern time. It's only ten thirty. <laughs> oh well, look at that. Oh, yeah. another hour. Oh my God, my wife went to bed very early then. I mean, she's a sensible woman. I think you know that more than anyone. I do, yes. Um, but she... Uh... <laughs> that, was absolutely, that was absolutely my fault. Uh, actually, I, I was changing the time on my computer, and uh, <laughs> that's what that's what showed. I don't know. That's a that's a peculiar thing. I would not have thought those things were attached. <laughs> anyway, uh, very good. Um, yeah. Let's, so let's return to the conversation then, because uh, you uh, you are the uh, or half of the eponymous uh, uh, guide to pitchers. Yeah. The other half being Bill James, who's also uh, he's done decently for himself, I think, at this point. <laughs> Is that right? All right. Yeah. Now, do you do you talk to uh, the Bill James occasionally? Uh, I speak to Bill probably once a year, like at at spring training, or if I'm lucky enough to see him there, which I did last March um, in Arizona. I got to hang out with Bill for a few hours and watch a basketball game, which was great. We email back and forth occasionally, but uh, um, 
my nature is not to pester people who are busy, um, which is why I rarely bother you. Um, but you know, I I I know some some people who um, are very successful in our business, and I almost never have any interaction with them because uh, uh, they have other things to do. Yeah. Well, uh, he does. Uh, I guess he's still is he still employed by the Red Sox then? He is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. He he same job. Moved back to Kansas a couple years ago, but uh, same job. Is he is he essentially like a one man think tank for the club then? Um. I, I think he – I never really talked to Bill a great deal about what he does with the Red Sox. I know when he lived in Boston, he would go to the ballpark a few times a week and attend the meetings and stuff. And he still goes back to, back every so often. He goes to spring training. Um, so he's around the team. Um, at the same time, I think it probably is fair to say that he often holds up in his office um, at home and – writes reports on whatever he wants to write about. I think that also happens. I know for a while he was basically writing two or three books a year um, for the Red Sox, just filled with whatever was on his mind. So I, I think I think both things happen. Huh, that's a, uh, I think that's sort of you – know, one could have a sort of uh, – uh, that could be a dream for some for some people, right? You're sort of on retainer with a Major League Baseball club to produce whatever content you see fit. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think that he, he got the job probably that was almost exactly the one that he would have chosen. Um, right. And the the what 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 has happened to a number of people over the years who have had jobs, at least somewhat like like Bill's, uh, is that it can get frustrating because you feel like your 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 voice isn't heard. Um, you know, you're hired because the owner, or maybe the GM, if you're lucky. Um, believes in the sort of thing that you do, but then you just become one of, one of many voices, and it's very easy to get shouted down, especially if you're the only one arguing something. Um, and I'm sure that's happened to Bill at times, although certainly Red Sox are a sabermetrics-friendly organization. Um, you probably saw the quote a year or so ago. Um, I think it was after the season. Um, but John Henry said very specifically that, he thought that the Red Sox had had gotten away from listening to Bill, and that was something that he wanted to address uh, going forward. So I have no idea if that's actually happened. Uh, Bill's too modest to to, to to say something like that, but um, you know I think that um, he does. You know he does have John Henry's blood. That he was hired by John Henry basically, and um, so I would expect. Um, I think he's going to be there for as long as he wants to be. Well, that sounds yeah. That sounds uh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the sort of reward for uh, years and years of toiling with everyone hating you. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I don't think that Bill ever thought he would have this sort of job. He, he did do some consulting for a team, teams here and there, I think, briefly, but it never really worked out, never turned into anything interesting or important. And uh, and then, you know, John Henry came along, and that was, what, 2001 or 2002, 2002, I think, and uh He's been there for more than ten years now, and has a couple of World Series rings, which is pretty neat. Yeah, that's uh, that is pretty neat, I'm, and I'm sure he wears them everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so listen, Rob Nyer, um, with regard uh, regarding your uh, eponymous text, uh, guy, eponymous guide to pitchers, along with Bill James, 
Uh, we've we've discussed the fastball. You don't know is the answer. Yeah. Bob Nyer doesn't know. Correct. Literally wrote the book on pitchers and pitches. <laughs> doesn't know. Uh, curveball. Uh, Candy Cummings is the best we can say. We think. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even real thrilled with 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 that explanation. Um, but um, there was an Bowdy Matthews who was supposedly might have invented the the curveball. There were at least three other guys who were credited with with inventing it. It seems like a pretty obvious thing that anybody that guys could have invented in different different places without even knowing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Cummings in the Hall of Fame. Uh, now, granted. People think Admiral Doubleday invented baseball, and we know that's not true. But I think Cummings has a, a better claim on something original than, than Doubleday does. Uh, now, is this, does the slider have a different inventor then? Is that a different pitch totally? Yeah. I, I mean, it, the slider does have a different a – different, it is a different pitch. Um, nobody really – is known for inventing the pitch because it's it's it really is a variation of other pitches. It's a variation of the fastball and it's a variation of the curveball. It's somewhere in the middle, I guess, at least for some pitchers. It depends on how you define it. Um, we can get toward we can we can we can get an idea for who invented the the, the term and who was first known for throwing it. That's probably George Blayholder. Who, who was a, a pitcher in the 30s with, I believe, the Indians for the most George, part. how do you spell that last name? Uh, B-L-A-E-H-O-L-D-E-R, Blayholder. Okay. Also, George Uly, that's G-E-O-R-G-E, Uly. He, um, <laughs> he also was uh, well-known <laughs> for throwing an early slider. Um, and, you know, there were others. Uh, but those are the two guys who were credited, especially Blayholder, with, with if not throwing the first sliders, at least popularizing the pitch. Okay. Uh, the next one I've written is change-up. A change-up. Ah, uh, the change-up. Um, there are a bunch of them, aren't there? I mean, there's a, uh, there are a couple different change-ups. Yeah, can... any number. Um, and early in baseball history, they were called slow balls. And there were different versions of that. Um Chrissy Matthewson's fadeaway was also referred to as a slow ball. Um, sometimes knuckleballs were referred to as slow balls. Um, but there probably was just a, basically a straight changeup where the guy held the ball um, in the back of his hand or he did something with the delivery that makes it, you know, a straight change, they used to call them. And you never hear that term anymore, straight change. Um, but that's been around forever. Um, and, you know, I don't know that anybody really invented. I think the the first change up was probably the first. You know, they were throwing slow balls in the beginning, so everybody threw slow balls. Um, and I haven't found an inventor of of the um, of the change up. Now, what now about you the, can find you can find inventors of different sorts of change ups, the slip pitch, for example, or the um, the circle changeup, those pitches you you can nail down inventors, but the changeup in, in a general sense is 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 amorphous. Yeah. Now the the circle change or OK change, uh, who who invented this? I don't know who invented it, but I, I'm fairly confident that even though it wasn't called either of those things, 
um, at the time. Um, I, I think that um, that Warren Spahn probably threw one. Okay. Um, I've got a great description of his of his grip on a changeup, and it sounds exactly like the circle change. Uh, the first reference anybody's found is from the late '80s or early '90s, but I'm I'm sure that the pitch was was uh, was around by then. Um, yeah, and of course well, that's a, and it, you know you mentioned that we we don't really hear the word straight change anymore. Uh, I mean maybe you know here and there, but that's because uh, I mean the 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 circle change or okay change up is a real weapon in and of itself, right? I mean it's not just a change of pace; it's also the uh, the movement can be devastating. Well, that's right. It, it it basically has supplanted the straight change up and the screwball at the same time. Because it has the same, you know, it has a screwball action. Right. But it's much, much easier to throw, to learn and to throw. Right. Yeah. There seems to be much less stress on the arm as well. Yep. Right. So, of course, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, splitter. Splitter. Ah, now therein lies a tale. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was able to actually do some, like one of the, one of the original things that I found that was most, most interesting when working on the book was was descriptions of what I think is the first fork ball back in around 1908, and it was in the minor leagues. There were a couple of guys who, who seemed to have thrown it, and they seemed to have found it independently of one another. Um, what's, what makes it tricky, and you run into this all the time when you research old pitches, is that while the, the pitch was gripped like a fork ball with the fingers split, you know, the, 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 the index finger and middle fingers split apart and a ball wedged between the fingers, well, that's a fork ball, right? Everybody knows that. And then later became a uh, slightly different pitch, the, the splitter. The problem is that when we think of a fork ball and a splitter, we think of a ball that is spinning, tumbling, and then drops at the very end, right? Mm -hmm. But the original fork ball, the one thrown... 100, 110 years ago, um, it didn't do that. It was it was designed to be thrown without spin. It was designed to behave like a knuckleball and to dance. Oh. And it's very difficult to pin down exactly when the modern forkball um, became somewhat popular. Um, I, I just don't know. I mean, we can find guys who threw the forkball. And you can find descriptions of, of that pitch and what it did. Um, I think it probably wasn't until the 30s, maybe even the 50s, that the modern fork ball, which became the splitter, uh, was thrown in the majors. I think before that, the fork ball, and there were a few guys who were well-known for throwing it, Joe Bush, Big Jim Weaver, a couple of other guys. I think they were probably throwing the knuckleball-style version of the fork ball. But, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to tell for sure. We don't know. We, don't, we just don't know, Rob Nair. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. And then the knuckleball, what, uh, what's the deal with that? I mean, you, you mentioned that the people would throw the forkball with the intention of sort of uh, imitating that um, movement or lack thereof um, that the knuckleball would achieve. What, when did uh, people actually start knuckling, knuckling the ball? Well, there are a, a lot of stories about how the knuckleball began. The, 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 most of them lead back to around 19... 1905-1906 in the minor leagues. Um, a guy named Knapp Rucker, who later became a very good pitcher with the Dodgers, 
um, and Eddie Seacott, the famous Eddie Seacott from, mm-hmm. from, from the Black Sox, they were teammates in the minors, and uh, they both seemed to have thrown knuckleballs. Um, um, what, what, the, the knuckleball that we know, basically, thrown with the fingertips. Um, I don't know that they, they invented it, um, but uh, they seemed to probably have been, th- they were teammates, and they probably were throwing it um, probably in 1906 um, with Indianapolis in the minors. Um, and they may have been knuckleballs before that, thrown with the, actually thrown with the knuckles. It's really hazy. That's really hazy. Uh, but but Seacott and the guy named Ed Summers a couple years later were the first guys who were really famous for throwing knuckleballs. In fact, Seacott's nickname was Nux, um, Knuckles. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and you know, for some reason, that doesn't ever really come up. Like in in the movie, you don't ever see him throw a knuckleball because probably because um, David Strathairn couldn't throw a knuckleball. But <laughs> but um, he was well known for throwing his knuckleball first and later his shine ball, which was a whole other story. Now, wait, Eddie Seacott, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, now I see that, the, the pronunciation there, but I guess uh, uh, in my head I've always said Chicote. Do we know if he's of Italian descent or what? Well, I have no idea, but uh, what, what, that, I, that tickles me, what you just said. <laughs> because I've heard his name pronounced probably a dozen ways over the years, but it, you have come to something completely unique. I don't think anybody's ever said would you say Chicote? Well, I mean, in Italian, if he's Italian, it would be Chicote. I understand, but no, I've never heard that before. Oh. I've heard Seacott, which is what I've heard Psychotti, I've heard Psychot, um, I've heard a number of others, but never heard any pronounced in the Italian as you just did. But no, uh, um, yeah, I, I guess you saw a pronunciation someplace, but um, it wasn't until I saw the movie, I think, that, um, and they did the research. Um, yeah, uh, and in fact, they, I've, uh, I've just uh, illicitly uh, wiki, uh, looked, his, looked him up on Wikipedia, and he, come, he came from a, f- a French-Canadian. He's of French-Canadian extraction. Yeah, uh, and so I didn't know that. Sicot or Sico would would be would make more sense. Yes, but that isn't how his family actually pronounced it. Yeah, okay, uh, I, I understand, Ron. I, you know, I so we have to go. We pretty much have to go with how they pronounced it. Yeah, I'm fine with that. That's fine. You know, uh, let me ask you this: mm. How do you pronounce? Uh, the first name of the Hall of Fame shortstop, whose last name is Wagner. Oh, interesting. I mean, I, I say Honus. Right. Incorrect. Honus or something? It is Honus. That's Honus, right. yeah. I, I got that one wrong for a long time. Is that how he said it? That is how he said it. Oh. That's how all of his teammates said it. No. Actually, his teammates called him Hans, but um, his name was pronounced Honus. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, look at that. Honus Wagner. Yeah, I'm looking at that now as well. Oh, we're good. Yo, he's actually buried. Do you know where he's buried? No, no idea. He's buried in Pittsburgh, PA. Oh, well, then I will be there within mere hours because one of the things that Bill and Hank and I do on these excursions <laughs> is we search, we search for the grave sites of, uh, of, uh, great ball players. Yeah, yeah, he's buried at Jefferson Memorial Park. So you got to find Jefferson Memorial Park. I, that seems strange. It sounds like a real park. It doesn't well, sound like a, it doesn't sound like a keep an eye on, If you keep an eye on Twitter, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure I will have an image for you. Okay, yeah. I'm uh, even curious about Yeah, Jefferson Memorial Cemetery maybe or something. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, find find your way there and uh, get us the Flying Dutchman's uh, uh, I, I'm pretty sure we'll be finding, we'll be locating Hannes Wagner and uh, Josh Gibson and maybe some other guys. Oh, yeah. Well, that's great. 
Well, listen, Rodmeyer, it's, uh, it, it appears as though, I can't be sure, but it appears as though you've uh, fulfilled your obligation to Fangraphs Audio. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, that, is, that, uh, is that work, is that work all right for you? Uh, well, I thought that you were obligated to have me on the show. So oh, I will release you from your obligation because oh. it's almost midnight there in the, in the east. Well, apparently it's not. Apparently, it's, apparently well, because I'm back on Central Time. Yeah. It's still light here, so it just seems like it's a little early to not be podcasting. But you know, that's your that's your call. Yeah, it is my I, I am the, uh, on the on the boss of this podcast. Well, we can uh, we can stop the recording and then we can have some uh, some pleasant conversation off air, and then uh, yeah, and then we'll go our separate ways. Make our Philadelphia plans. Yeah, let's do that. Well, let's okay. say in the meantime though that this has been uh, Rob Nair, um, I guess the uh, Iron Fisted leader of, uh, of Baseball Nation. Uh, thank you, thank you, Rob. I love doing it. Yeah. I hope we can do it again sooner. Yeah, we'll do it again sooner. We'll do it uh, every week. That has been Rob Marum, <laughs> Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.